Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Hello and welcome to RAA Edge. This is Mark Bruno, Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa Connect. And we are thrilled to have a very special guest here, Jim Dixon, the founder and CEO of Sanctuary Wealth, one of the largest and most influential RIA firms in the industry. Jim, thank you very much for being here today. Mark, my pleasure. Uh, looking forward to joining you and excited to talk about all the good things happening in the RIA world. Yeah, there is a ton going on, as we've detailed here you know, for quite some time now. Uh, I think we're actually coming up on the one-year anniversary of RAA Edge. So uh, this is a very special and sentimental episode for me. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Um, there's quite a bit that I'd like to be able to get into with you. As everybody who listens to RAA Edge knows, you know, we're very much focused on growth. Um, we spent a lot of time over the last year talking about m and um, but we've also had a number of discussions on how RIAs have been successfully driving more organic growth, whether it's through marketing, business development, or referrals. Um, and Jim, I know Sanctuary has done a lot of everything, um, and you've had a lot of growth over the last you know, decade or so. And I'm very interested to dive in and pick apart you know, some of those primary drivers of growth. Uh, but before we do that, I know a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with you and Sanctuary, but I think it's always good to just start with a brief background, a little bit of history, on the formation of Sanctuary, and if you could, just some of the areas that you focus on and areas of specialization. Yeah, no, thank you, Mark. So um, I had the pleasure for almost 25 years of working at Merrill Lynch. I was a senior executive, and uh, as you know, when you're a senior executive, that path narrows, and so when it was uh, time for me to, uh, to do something else, I had seen quite candidly ACATs going to places like Charles Schwab and Fidelity and Pershing. And, you know, well, well maybe the big banks had liked to tell the story that it was uh, day traders. I, I quickly became to realize it was this RIA space, right? That was in the early years of forming and growing. And so um, I began to study it and I felt like that there was a real opportunity to build a firm like Sanctuary that could could really do two things. They could, they could free people from maybe um, the captive uh, W-2 space that they'd been in their whole careers and were frustrated with and allow them to set up their independent firm, uh, but do it in a way that they had a partner. Um, and, and hence what we call partnered independence at Sanctuary. And then I also felt that there were a lot of early adopters that were in the independent space but maybe we're alone. They, they, they felt like they wanted to spend more time with their clients, but they were working on things like compliance and regulatory. And you know the tech world changes about every day with new implementation. And, and, and they were tired of, of, of doing all those things. And we're looking for a partner that might help them uh, you know, spend their time on the things they enjoyed more, which I think always leads to growth. And so that's what we formed Sanctuary to do um, almost four years ago to the day, really. And, and now we're over a $20 billion REA in you know, 23, 24 states and growing quickly. Um, and we've learned a lot, but but really it was building it to allow our partners to do what they do best, which is to focus on serving their clients and, and sort of building a platform of solutions and services. And I think most importantly, network so that they can share best practices and share culture and be part of something bigger than just themselves. 
Appreciate that. It's very helpful context. And I think it sets us up to have pretty broad and wide ranging discussion around some of the growth that you've experienced. And for our listeners, I know that there are very few firms that can build what you've built, but I think that there's a lot that they can take away from your learnings, from what you've learned through over the process in the last several years. And I would love to just start with the M&A side. Um, it tends to dominate a lot of the headlines in the RA yeah. industry. Um, no surprise, we've seen year after year for the last you know, 10 years now, um, record levels of M&A activity. Uh, for me, it's less about the activity levels. I find that interesting, but I I'm actually most intrigued by the different types of acquirers and what they're in the process of building, you know, Sanctuary being at the top of that list. Um, so if you want to mind, maybe if you could start by letting us know where does Sanctuary fit into the broader RIA M&A ecosystem? Um, and I'll just qualify the question by saying you know, there are a handful of other firms that might be considered you know, professional buyers, if you will, similar in size and scope to Sanctuary. But when you're talking to other RIAs, how do you describe sanctuary and what's the language you use and what's the specific problem that you solve, solve for sellers in today's market? You know, I, I think, first of all, the space is fascinating. <laughs> and, and I think that, you know, for those that are out there that are thinking about it, there, there's a million different places that you can play. And that's one of the things I like about the space. And so, you know, when we first got in, Mark, I think we tried to be all things to, to all people for about five minutes. And we realized that was a tragic mistake and you couldn't differentiate yourself and, and you weren't going to be very successful. And so we sort of figured out what we wanted to be when we grew up. And, you know, for us, and this is a, um, you know, I, I used to say it was culture, culture, culture. And, and, and then I, I, um, uh, would say I got criticized for that candidly. People like, what does that mean, right? It's this overused term, and, and and I thought about it, and I think it really means talent, talent, talent. Um, you know, talent with the right attitude is probably the, the the best way that I would say it. And so for us, you know, what we've come to conclude is we we really participate in the two hundred million to a billion dollar space. We feel it's the right space for us. It fits into our ecosystem quite well. oftentimes. Um, but but you know, the, the, the thing about what we look for is really two things, really three, I guess. Number one would be growth. You know, a lot of people say they grow, but, but when you look at the numbers, if you took out the market growth, they're not really growing, right? The market's growing and they're just along for the ride. So we look for real growth. Number two is, is we're looking for, for talent, you know, and I think that's been one of the most amazing things. And people say, why is Sanctuary grown and been so successful? It's because we've added unbelievable talent that we've been able to put into the breadth and depth of Sanctuary that's allowed everybody else to grow faster, right? So, you know, uh, really specialist in things like retirement planning and things like family office and other other things that maybe an independent RIA wouldn't want to build themselves um, or, or, or commit the capital to, we've been able to build that out. But, but most importantly, at the end of the day, it's a bunch of really good people that want to help each other coming together as part of a community and, and really sharing best practices and ideas around what's working. And oftentimes uh, that I think makes people feel like they're part of something and, and people say independent, but not alone. And I think that's really true of what we try to provide. And when I think about like, like who fits at Sanctuary, right? There are two places in the MA space where we find it all the time. Number one is that younger advisor who's growing, but he or she realizes, you know, more and more she these days in, in, in our market, because we've had a lot of success with great female advisors who are just saying, you know, uh, I want to grow faster and I want to plug into an ecosystem, but I want to keep my independence. So one of the things that's different about Sanctuary Mark is when we do an acquisition, we let them keep their own brand. We just add 
powered by Sanctuary, and they're allowed to keep their own client service model. They're allowed to keep their own investment model. And we think that's really differentiated. And the last thing that I would say that, that we sort of have come to the conclusion is sometimes we do majority deals, but a lot of times we'll do minority deals. A lot of our partners, um, they don't want to give up the full runway, but they're willing to sell us 20 or 30% of the firm to become part of the family. And then they'll, they'll still have that majority ownership to be able to grow and, and monetize over time. And so all those things were like this three to four year journey where we just kept learning and learning and learning. And now I think we know what we want to be when we grow up. And I think you touched on a lot there that is really important because when we look at M&A, M&A is not you know, just what it was you know, 10 years ago when you yeah. had just you know, 15 to say 20 firms that were, let's call it active, active being you know maybe two deals a year. You mentioned you know, growth and talent as you know, two of the things that you're looking at. And it's Interesting because I think over the last few years, you know, the the need to solve for some of the succession issues, while it's still present, has become less of a motivator in a lot of the deals that I've seen. It's really the interesting that's changed things. Yeah. Um, so I am curious to focus on that when you're looking at the opportunities to create value, right? Um, when you're looking at a firm that might be a fit for sanctuary, and you're seeing where and how you can add to their growth rate, how you can accelerate it. What are some of the characteristics that you look for? And then at the same time, what are you bringing to the table that would allow mm -hmm. one plus one to equal more than two? So, you know, um, been an athlete all my life. And so I always say mindset, you know, like, like, like there's a winner's mindset, first of all, that that's the number one thing I look for because there's an optimism, there's a positivity that um, they, they, they want to be something greater than they are today. I think that's number one. So, you know, there, there's a lot of those opportunities in the market. And then there's also a lot of opportunity market that, they're at the end of the road and they're just looking to pass this off to somebody. And those are great opportunities from someone. They're just not what Sanctuary looks for. We're looking for somebody that says, all right, um, I want to do more. I want to grow faster and, and tell me how you can do it, which is really the second part of your question. And so I think for us, that was building an ecosystem, right? And, and you never know what part of the ecosystem that they're going to, they're going to want or need or find valuable. Um, and, and so for us, it, 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 it's a lot of it is about um, you know branding and marketing and and being digital um, and, and plugging into um, the technology team that Sanctuary's built so that they can um, you know begin to do things like webinars and other things that 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 maybe they've thought about but they haven't done. It seems simple, but 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 when you have this captive technology and this infrastructure that they can just plug into, it's easier to do. And then behind that, we provide, you know, with our partners at FICOM, some great training around how to do it and how to be yourself and how to build it. And so um, we don't ever tell anybody, you know, what to do. I always say, you know, um, you know, we make recommendations, they make decisions. And but 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 it's that push a little bit out of your comfort zone that I think most of the time leads to growth. If you look at most great high performers, they have a coach. And at the end of the day, I think that's what Sanctuary tries to be is a bit of a coach with this extensive platform. And so sometimes it's our tax services. Sometimes it's our family office. You know, um, other times they want to outsource the investment management and really focus on the financial planning. It's never the same thing twice, but I feel like building the platform that allows them to plug in when they're ready and in the way that they're ready is super powerful. And then when you you, you turbocharge that with a bunch of really best practitioner, Forbes, Barron's recognized, you know, different different you know top FAs, it's the magic sauce for growth. In fact, I would tell you 
So people say, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of that over the last couple of years, every single one of our partner firms has had um, organic growth in a positive way. And so I think that's the culture that you build. And then you just allow those practitioners to come together and it really, you know, really takes off. But like anything else in my career, nothing works and everything works. It's that, that sort of environment and that culture that um, if it doesn't work the first time, keep going, keep working through it, keep building out that presence. And, you know, over months, sometimes weeks, sometimes years, um, you, you know, you're like one day it works and the magic happens, but it's that consistency of sort of staying with it that I think is we've, we've noticed over time uh, just really works. You mentioned the winner's mindset and it dates back to your days as an athlete. I have to ask, what sports did you play? I was a baseball player. So I was a pitcher, right? So every every, every pitch, you had to go to the next pitch because some of them didn't go so well, right? And so that's sort of the way we look at this. All right, that didn't go so well. What can we learn from it? How can we get better? Because for a lot of people, whether they were existing in the independent REA or maybe they spent their life at, at a warehouse, marketing is new. And, and it's new to a lot of people. And really, you know, COVID and the pandemic, kind of accelerated that, right? Um, all of this communication is now digital, it's now video. And so building out a brand, building out a presence is new to an awful lot of people. And what we found is those that are really running with it are really growing a lot faster than those that aren't. Oh yeah. And we've had some very interesting discussions over the last couple of months just around you know, the firms that are doing it right. If they've you know cracked the code, if there is such a thing. Um, what have they done right? What have they learned from it? And what does success look like? And I definitely want to get into that with you in just a moment. I just would love to be able to finish the thinking around the M&A and the recruiting discussion a bit. You mentioned talent um, and we've been doing RA Edge workshops, you know, regional roadshow around the country, talking about you know, valuation, talking about M&A. And in just about every one of those workshops, you know, the line, it's easier to acquire talent than it is to hire talent. You know, is spoken. Um, I'm curious, you know, in your view, what role does talent acquisition, right, and this competition for really good talent in this space play in your M&A strategy? And also, what are some of the skill sets, the talents that you need the most and are in the most demand right now? Yeah, those are really great questions. And, you know, that's what the board and I think about all the time as we talk through that. And, you know, my, my actual answer is it's, it's, it's probably both. You need a talent acquisition strategy and you need an M&A strategy. I mean, we've hired some unbelievable people. And, and, and one of the things I've learned over the last year in particular is like, if you can hire people that have been there before um, and they've, 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 they've done M&A and they speak the language and they can speak to, you know, things that have gone right and things that have gone wrong, there's a credibility that comes with that, that I think is really, really important. But I think on the talent side, and this is going to probably sound strange to, to the people listening out there, but, you know, what I look for a lot of times is, you know, people that don't know the limits, um, you know, it's like, like if I launched Sanctuary when we launched it and, and my partners and I, and, you know, if I had a dollar for everybody told us, you know, that we couldn't do it or we shouldn't do it or it wouldn't work, um, you know, um, I'd, I'd have a lot more money than I have today. And so, you know, when I'm out there, I, I really find sometimes where you find in the M&A space, people that said, look, if I just had the right people around me, I think I could do this. And I'm like, wow, I never thought about that. I think you can do that. And by the way, I think we can teach a whole bunch of our partner firms to do that within our community and our network. And so there's so much people out there, but 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 most of the time it, it really re revolves around some sort of a specialization, some sort of a niche um, that they have. And sometimes that niche is as broad as like technology. They use technology really well. 
Um, other times, you know, they, they've developed um, a planning specialization um, or, or it's usually not investment related. Um, I, th- right. I think that, that, that that's sort of, I don't want to call it a commodity because that would be disrespectful to the good people that do it. But but the niche is really more around some sort of financial planning um, or, or really around, you know, how they use technology to deliver a very differentiated client experience. Those are the two things. And so what I look for when we're doing M&A and I do every one of those calls because I feel like I learn, you know, so much as as we as we do the sort of the management calls. Um, you know, you just find people that are doing things different, and and oftentimes they're like a lot of things. They're like, well, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they're not all that. Uh, you know, and 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 so that's where we found a lot of talent, and that's where we improved our processes, right? And improved and improved and improved by just taking people in and making them part of the family and, and and then using some of their best ideas and giving them back some things on the other side, and so. Um, I think that's really important. And, and what's often interesting, Mark, and I think um, this is something that, that that a lot of people might not think is like, you know, when people think talent, they often think about, you know, the, the, the patriarch or the matriarch, maybe. That's not usually where we find the talent. We usually find the best talent and the ones that make the most difference to sanctuary a couple levels down from the founder, right? They're, they're doing something within the organization that's not at the very top of the food chain, um, but they do it really well. They're usually younger. It's also where we find a lot of diversity. It's those hires that I think have really been the best hires for Sanctuary over the last four years. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it's uh, think about some of your activity, the visibility you have in to the industry, right? Because uh, obviously you're talking to exponentially more firms than you actually are acquiring. Um, it doesn't seem like the M&A activity will slow down anytime soon, but it also seems like you know the motivators, the talent pool, all the different things that are available to you as a buyer now, and things that are available to sellers of buyer now, there are more options than ever before, oh. um, which I, I, I think is a good thing. Can't hurt. There's no question about that. And I just have one final question on the M&A yeah. side for you. You know, I've talked to dozens of advisors over the last you know, month or so who are all, they're not professional buyers. They're not platforms. They're not aggregators. They're not consolidators. They're just RAs, right? They're managing money, doing a really great job, but they're thinking about doing their first acquisition because there are, whether it's succession or other opportunities out there, uh, a number of drivers. So I'm curious, what advice would you give to someone who has never done an acquisition before, but is thinking about doing their first deal here in 2022? I think I would give them two pieces of advice. The first would be the people match is really important. If that's not right, run. Um, right, you, you, you're basically going to get married to somebody when you do a transaction, mm-hmm. and you've got to have some common ground, and you've got to have, um, you know, some 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 commonality that that you're going to five years from now you're going to want to be a business partner with somebody, right? Um, and and I think that's important because I feel like when people make mistakes in this industry, they buy assets, not people, and that's where you get you can get in a lot of trouble. The second thing, and I can say this because I lived it is find the right team to surround yourself because you're not going to know the questions to ask. That sometimes might be legal questions. Um, sometimes they're due diligence questions, but, but, but really, you know, don't, don't try to go at it alone. You don't need to build a huge deal team. So I'm not talking about spending, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars, but I think having a good partner um, that understands, you know, the, the, the legal side, the tax side is so important because if you don't know what to ask, you can think you're doing something really good and then find out uh, down the road you didn't. So, you know, are you going to do an asset purchase or, or how are you going to think? Those are 
things that yep. most RAs don't think about. And, and so for us, um, you know, it's been an expensive education, but the people we've surrounded ourselves have been invaluable because they've done so many of these. And now we can speak the language and we're really good at it. But I think if I had come to that conclusion earlier, I probably would have a less bumps and bruises than, than what we had filled in sanctuary. No, I appreciate that. And you know, just from my own experience too, and observations, you know, the, bit, the best piece of advice I heard someone give is if it's not there, don't force it. Um, yeah. you know, there will be other opportunities down the line. Um, and somebody actually last week just said to me, if a lot of the other firms like a sanctuary or some of the other professional buyers have passed on a certain firm, there's probably a reason. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. they may have done some of the due diligence for you already. So anyway, good to know. And thank you for summarizing the, the M&A, uh, the state of the state around M&A. Just shifting gears, you mentioned you know, organic growth. Um, you mentioned that any the firms that you've acquired, the offices that you've brought in yeah. um, have experienced some pretty significant organic growth. And I think yeah, that discussion around organic growth is probably more important now than ever, especially with you know the markets yeah. behaving the way they are. And who knows where we go from here? So I'm curious, maybe you could just give a little bit of background. How do you define you know, good or high quality organic growth? And what do you know, good organic growth rates look like from your perspective? Yeah, great question, Mark. And I think you can look at it a lot of different ways, sort of depending on the segment that you're serving, right? And so you know, we have some high net worth teams that that they might define a great organic growth as three new families in a year. And we have some other businesses that are maybe, you know, high net worth or, or, or you know, they, they specialize in a rollover business where the average account size is maybe three to 500,000 that they're looking at 10 to 15 new families a year. And so I think, first of all, you've got to understand what segment you're in and, and, and how you're, you know, how you're going to define that. But, um, the common characteristic, the common thread that we look at is, are you bringing in new households? Because I think, you know, when we look at M&A, when I look at our existing partner firms within our practice management division, you know, the average client is older. And unfortunately, many of those clients pass in a book every single year. And so if you aren't replacing those households and those families, and, and hopefully keeping them right as they pass to the next generation, but that's really hard to do, you're going to find yourself in, 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 a, in a bad place. And I think the challenge is, is we've had a 12-year bull market, right? And so a lot of people have sort of... Um, you know, put makeup on the fact that they're not bringing in new households and they're not, you know, growing organically. And now you get a down market like we're in this year. And all of a sudden you feel that twice as, twice as bad. It's kind of like using margin, right? When it goes bad, mm -hmm. it's double bad. And so, you know, what we're talking to our teams about is, you know, constantly bringing in households within your segment, constantly playing in traffic so that people can see you automating your message and your branding so that you're out there um, and, and doing it in a way that's highly personable and it's not so commoditized. So one of the things we focus on as an example is not speaking in financial jargon. Um, you know, one of our teams just did a great um, uh, podcast last week on what's a basis point, what's it mean? And the, the amount of feedback that came from, from their audience on that was like, you know, I never wanted to ask because I didn't feel stupid, but I had no idea what that meant. Thank you. Right. I mean, just that <laughs> simplicity of, of doing right. it. I Let think alone really what's works. a bit. Yeah, exactly. And so um, organic goes to us is really just about bringing in new households consistently and regularly with a process. Right. Everybody can, you know, get that, but 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 do you have a process and are you engaged to 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 push that forward? I appreciate the uh, the process piece, right? Because you know, we talk about you know, growth by design versus default. Um, and you could have somebody who's a great business developer, you know, a rainmaker to use the old school term, 
Um, but once you get to a certain size at a firm, as a firm level, you're not really moving the needle with that 10 to 15 million you're bringing in as an individual you know, each year. Um, and I think that's one of the things I'd love to talk about a little bit more. I mean, you, you're spot on with the way you've talked about organic growth, the way I've thought about it. It's been amazing. You know, over the years when I presented a lot of benchmarking data, the data point that seems to hit a lot of people right in the face is when we don't just talk about the drivers of organic growth, but you mentioned you know, withdrawals or lost clients. I think depending on the year, it'd vary, but you know, you'd have a four to 6% you know, hurdle rate every year, right? Whether it's withdrawals or clients that you lose to another advisor or they pass or whatever the case may be. Um, and then you add a down market, right? And depending on what looks like, you may need to add 10, 15% net new client assets in a given year just to break even, right? Um, so with that, I'm curious, you know, what it is that you've been doing. You mentioned digital marketing or some of your advisors have been doing yeah. um, to cast a net, but to do it in a way that is still authentic and appropriate, right? And to really represent who they are in person, but perhaps you know, digitally or from a broader brand and marketing perspective. Yeah. And, you know, I think the great thing about having a broad network like Sanctuary is, is we get to see a vast amount of things, right? And, and again, let me start with, with our audience say by saying everything works and nothing works. Um, so the first and best advice is to get in the game and be active. Right. And, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting, you know, um, video podcasts, um, webinars. Um, I, I think what we've come to realize in the organic growth space is um, consistency is the key. Right. And so, you know, one of the things that we're religious about at Sanctuary, which I think has led to our growth, as well as kind of pushing down to our, our partner firms, is this 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 idea of a, of a content calendar where in a month, here's what I'm going to do. I've got 31 days to grow this month. Here's what I'm going to do on this day and this day and this day. And then, and then so, I, so I think that's incredibly important, right? Where you have a strategy. You're not just waking up one day and saying, I'm going to do this. Oh, it didn't work. No, mm-hmm. there's a strategy. And then um, the best teams and the ones that go fastest, they, they then come back somewhere between January's and February's content calendars. And they, they ask themselves what worked and what didn't work. And they're looking at their stats on social media. They're looking at their, their webinar stats. They're taking input from clients. Did you think that was valuable? They're talking to each other, but that's the process, Mark. And it, to me, it's just rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, refine, refine, repeat, refine. And you know, you sort of find your voice and you also sort of find your niche. And what what, what normally happens with our best growing partner firms is, is you know, once they do that, and as long as they're doing a, a really differentiated client experience, it's this crescendo of they become easy to be referable. One of the things that drives me crazy is people say, you know, I want to grow by referrals. Well, what are you doing to become referable, right? If you don't have content that's out there, and you, whether it's a white paper or whether it's a webinar or whatever it is, if you're not adding value, if I have value, it's easy for my prospects and clients to to, to see that and to grab that and say, well, I'm not getting that now. Um, and so that content creation and that process, I think is really important if you want to be a grower. Um, and, and we see that every day. And those that are doing it, by the way, are growing at rates I've never seen before. Yeah. And I think the content piece is an important one because you know, often I hear the question, I have 70 to 150 clients. How am I supposed to also create this content calendar and live by it that you talk about, Jim? Well, how many client calls, how many Zooms, how many Teams meetings do you do in a given day or week? And could you potentially concentrate a lot of that time and energy into one podcast, right? Uh, Because you may be talking to 
you know, a lot of your clients about many of the same market related issues. hundred uh, percent. So yeah. uh, there, there are definitely efficiencies that can be realized and you're talking to your existing clients at the same time that you're talking to prospective clients, yep. right? Exactly. Um, and I, I would just sort of end on that. I know we've covered a lot of ground, but you know, coming out of hopefully the pandemic and into endemic, I, I still look back to March, 2020. And I think it's amazing how the whole industry essentially went virtual overnight. Some did it better than others, but for an industry that is so highly customized, so highly personal, right? And one that is really at the core based on trust, you saw a lot of advisors who were able to acquire clients that they've never actually met before, right? Um, and some did it really well. I mean, so is there anything as we kind of look to the future, you think you, know, you learned in particular and anything from a specific sort of process, right? That you think will carry over into the future that we've learned over the last couple of years here? Yeah, you know, I, I think, Mark, that this this trend was already on its path. And the pandemic, as terrible as it was for a lot of health and human re- reasons, it expedited the change that was going to happen in the financial services. Um, and and that, that, that change, I think, was a move away from, um, you know, may, maybe, you know, some of the big bureaucratic wirehouse type environments to a more entrepreneurial environment. Because if, you know, if I have an office and, and I can't go there um, and I can't really, you know, use technology to communicate for my clients, I'm at a huge disadvantage. And so I think what you saw many people do was A, move into the space. I think that's been crazy how, how the growth of the RAA space has been because those handcuffs, you know, kind of got because they had to, right? I had to find a way to communicate. And if I can't get my compliance department to approve a a webinar or a podcast, or even comment on a post, I'm going to have a really hard time in a pandemic communicating. And then what happened is um, not that they were perfect because, you know, when when we all start, we're not very good, but, and then it worked. And, and, you know, one thing about advisors, when it works, they, they know how to turn up the heat and make it keep working and keep working and yeah. keep working. And so, um, and then, and then what happened, I think was, you know, some people began to look around both at independent RAs and as well as in warehouse environments and other bank environments and said, wow, you know, that, that independent RAA channel is growing faster. Let's start looking at what they're doing. And then they realized that maybe they couldn't do those things. And so um, I, I think it's been, you know, some brave leaders out there that very early on in the pandemic, um, you know, God bless them, said, we're going to communicate, we're going to get content out there. And it worked. And and then others began to follow. And so, um, you know, and then that's why, you know, when we're in the MA space, going back to where we started, um, I, I'm amazed not every time, but, but a high percentage of the time, how many new ideas are out there that are actually wonderful. And, 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 and you put those together and, and you sort of find um, your voice, so to speak. And so I think the pandemic has forced people to have a voice. And then the really good ones have refined their voice and found their voice. And, and once you find that voice and that connectivity, it's easy to become known and trusted because you're differentiated and you're saying something that's of value and you're consistently in the marketplace. And that I think is, is what the pandemic accelerated. And personally, I don't think we'll ever look back. In fact, what I've noticed is now the big banks and the warehouses and others are trying to move this way to catch back up and say, okay, we'll let you use LinkedIn as simple as that sounds. Um, You know, but I I don't know. I think that train's left the station. And I think uh, those of us that have chosen that RAA, you know, independent channel are really in for a, a terrific ride as long as we keep reinventing ourselves and getting a little bit better every day. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that completely. And I think just you know, from again going back to the content, right, and thinking about podcasts and webinars, I could say from my own experience, you know, the, my favorite thing to hear 
you know, when I meet somebody in person for the first time and they've listened to a podcast or they've heard me on the webinar is I feel like I already know you, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, think about how far that goes in the advice business. Yeah. If you feel like a prospect already knows you before you've met. It's unbelievable. Um, so, so real quick antidote on that is, sure. is I did a podcast when I launched Sanctuary. I was literally one month into it. I did a podcast with, with Mindy Diamond and I made a comment about, uh, you know, about maybe feeling like I'd been in a box and that box just didn't fit anymore. And then it was amazing over the next three years, how many people played that back to me? And I don't want to say they were closed before we win the conversation, but we were in the fifth or sixth inning versus the first right. inning when we started that because they felt like they already knew who I was and what I represented. So, Mark, I couldn't agree more with that comment. Yeah, and I, I mentioned it just as a sort of motivator for anybody who hasn't done it or has experimented, maybe gave up on it. We're always learning. doesn't matter how many you know, episodes, how many years, and how many seasons you've done a particular podcast or webinar series. Um, there's always ways to experiment. And I, I will say, if you can get good people like you who are willing to you know, take a leap, be a guest on our edge, it, it only helps and kind of move the needle and accelerate all of our learnings um, at once. So, Jim, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Mark. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention also that you'll be speaking at our main event, Wealth Management Edge, on the RIA Edge stage in just a few weeks. So June 1st through June 3rd, we'll be hosting the Wealth Management Edge Conference at the Diplomat in Florida, Hollywood, Florida. And Jim, we can't wait to have you there. Can't wait to hear what you have to say on the subject of M&A and all things related to growth. It's really shaping up to be everything that the wealth management team here has hoped for, and we can't wait to see you and everyone else down there. So thank you in advance for participating. Can't wait. It's going to be a great conference and a lot of fun. It's going to be great to get back in person with a lot of people I haven't seen in a really long time. And hopefully they feel like they, they know you, even if they haven't met you when we get down there. Great. Um, so Jim, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And thank you to everybody for tuning in to this episode of RA Edge. Again, I'm Mark Bruno, the managing director at the Informa Connect of the Wealth Management Group. Appreciate everybody stopping by. Appreciate you taking some time to be here, Jim, and we'll catch you all in the next episode. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.